Welcome to the Myelin and Melanin podcast with Dawn and Dana. We are just two women sharing our musings on life, MS, and everything in between. Yeah, this is a very special episode 44. Yeah, 44. I'm excited. Um, We have somebody really exciting on the show today. Yes, it's a very, very special episode. We are so excited to talk with Sonia Renee Taylor. Sonia Renee Taylor is an author, award-winning performance poet, and the founder and executive officer of The Body Is Not an Apology, which is a digital media and education company promoting radical self-love and body empowerment. And she promotes these things as the foundational tool for social justice and global transformation. We're super excited to talk with her. Yeah, I read her book and was just blown away. I'm I'm kind of speechless right now. And I would love to have a deeper conversation with you all. Um, However, I will not be on this podcast. And uh, we have somebody, you know, wonderful stepping in for us. How uh, so I'll just kind of briefly explain why I won't be on the podcast today. Um, I so everybody knows that Dana and I both took Lemtrada. We had Lemtrada infusions a few years ago. And with Lemtrada there were like side effects that of course people know about. You have to like sign papers and everything. It wasn't anything, you know, earth-shattering or life-changing, although it could be because you have to take more medication if you do have, you know, problems down the line. Well, anyway, I had an issue with um my thyroid. So I've, I had to see a, an endocrinologist, et cetera, et cetera. And then just some other, just some other like things that threw off my immune system. So, um, I have to go and just kind of have like a little appointment and just to make sure I'm doing well, which I am. And, um, because like my lab work came back a little weird, but it was only because the Lemtrada threw everything off, but I I'm fine. So, but I, I do need to go to the appointment. So, With that being said, in my absence, we have Carlos Kareem Windham, who has been on before. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, one of our favorite people. He is stepping in. So, yeah, Carlos. I'll settle in. What's going on? Going up that way. Uh, Oh, my God. It's just such an honor to be uh, back again and to have. Uh, been part of this opportunity and and to have been part of the opportunity to have the conversation with Sonia uh, and and with uh, Dana as we really get into what for me is so amazing about her book, uh, which is really around a, a, a radical self-love, which you know she'll talk about more, but well beyond the frames of self-acceptance and and uh self-love it it really is about community and transformation and so dope yeah this is fantastic wow thank you so much for introducing us to her work carlos yes and and i guess too like summing up everything that don just said before she's not able to join the conversation with us because ms because MS, I, and I forgot to say that, you know, of course, because MS. <laughs> yeah, MS. Thank you so much for taking time to talk with us today, Sonia. We are so honored that you're giving up your time because we know how unbelievably busy you are. So thank you so, 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 so much. 
Oh, my pleasure. It's a joy to be in conversation with y'all. Thank you. So just a little bit of context about the podcast. So Myelin and Melanin is a podcast about our experiences with multiple sclerosis and MS wreaks total havoc on the body. It can be disabling, um, causing all sorts of just craziness to, for lack of a better word. But many times it requires us to use things like mobility aids, canes, walkers, I currently um, started using a wheelchair. So oftentimes it's hard to come to terms with living in a disabled body when you, you know, that's not always been your reality. So this book hit incredibly hard and just really touched my soul. And I can, I'll just speak for most of our listeners. So what are your thoughts, Carlos? Um. This has been uh, a real journey with your your text, Sonia, and I want to thank you for it on so many different levels. Um, the way that we actually ended up having the opportunity or thinking of, of, of what it would be to have the opportunity to have you join us was through one of these goofy seven-day uh, challenges on a, a social network that shall not be named. And uh, <laughs> within that framework, uh, yours was one of the texts that I suggested. And I, honestly, I don't remember how I came across the title, but the first conversation I had with a black woman about the title was with my therapist. The second that I was having were with the my co-hosts on Myelin and Melanin because uh, as I had posted the cover and started to talk about the book with them, I was just absolutely amazed at the level of vulnerability with which you yeah. were able to craft this, this uh, more than more, it's not a narrative, right? Can you talk a little bit with us about the structure and how you came to develop a structure that is so interactive? Uh, yeah. Um First of all, thank you all so much. It is, it just brings me such joy um, to to know that the work is out in the world doing stuff, and very specifically that it is out doing stuff for Black people navigating the intersections of multiple marginalized identities. Um, mm. It, yeah, like it just for you know I. I'm never not writing from the perspective of a queer, black, neurodivergent, fat woman in America. Mm -hmm. And so there, you know, whether, regardless of who has access to the work, there are certain people I really, really want to get it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, that would yeah, be y'all. Yeah. All right. And that would be y'all. And so I'm so just really grateful that that has indeed been the case. Um, I wanted the book from from the time that I conceived of it, I knew that I wanted the book to be, um, a, for lack of a better terms, a workbook, a working book, uh -huh. put it that way. Um, I knew that I wanted people to actually have to take these ideas from theory and concept into what is it, it what is it to live a radical self-love life? What does, what does it take to actually be in practice with these ideas? Um, right. And, and so I tried to construct it um, in a way that allowed it to have these elements. And my, 
my editors were also incredibly generous um, in offering different, you know, offering suggestions about sort of structure and layout that mm-hmm. would allow us to get to that, you know. Um, and so, yeah, I think that the finished product has definitely been, you know, one where people are like, oh, I find myself actually using it as work. I, I was like, I want folks to just be, you know, on a bus, in their car, at lunch, at work, and pull it out like, oh, I thought about this today. Let me look. Right. Oh, oh let, me, let me jot this down in the thing. I want it to be um, a working book for life, for life. Yeah. I, you know, I wish I had known a little bit of that when I jumped into it, because I'll tell you the truth. I was on a plane, girl, and I was busting out in tears on a flight to New Orleans, completely (laughs) unprepared to have to see myself and to be so seen. And so honestly, I, you know, again, I, I think that you're in conversation with readers in a way that is, uh, to the soul. Do you know it is yes. is fighting for space in the mind, in the soul, and again in the body and in the reclamation of the body, and uh, you know the tool of examination that you provide is 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 astounding. So congratulations again for that. Absolutely. Thank you. Thank you so much. That was my heart. My heart was, I want people to read this and just feel like they're talking, like we are having a conversation about right. you know, how we move through this world in these bodies. Um, and I wanted folks to feel that way. So it makes, yeah, it makes me really happy that that was the experience. Sorry, it hijacked you a little, but. <laughs> I'm not. Right, sorry, not sorry is really what right. I mean. Sorry, not right. sorry. Right, right. Yeah, thank you. It's digressing a little bit. Um, it wasn't until this morning that I actually watched you perform the poem mm. and I am like still getting myself together after watching that. I mean, I was, and I'm still in tears after hearing that it's so powerful. You know, I think it's just kind of like a mantra that everybody needs to hear every morning. I don't know. It, it's, it's just so powerful. So thank, thank you so much for that. Absolutely. Thank you. It's so interesting. You know, it's, it's fascinating to me because there are ways in which the book is very, you know, people read this book, have no idea that I'm a poet or that it came from a poem. Right. Sometimes folks don't even know that there's like an entire company behind the work and the company came from right. this and You know, and so it's, it's cool to watch people put the pieces together. Like, oh, that's, oh, that's connected to that. Oh. Right. <laughs> and then sort of fall into the wormhole of the body is not an apology. Mm. Yes. Yes. So you're saying, uh, as you said, the, the, the book evolved from the poem. You talked in the book a bit about the origin of the poem. Could you talk to, to our listeners about that a bit? How, how did this all come to be for you? Yeah, absolutely. So I, I would even say the book came from the work. The work came from the poem. Uh, okay. So, okay. Um, okay. Yeah. So back in 2009, um, my background uh, historically is as a performance poet. Um, and so I per- participated in Poetry Slam and toured the world as a performance poet. And um, I was at a slam in Tennessee uh, with a friend and whole team. And my friend was having a conversation with me um, about uh, 
a, a fear of having an unintended pregnancy. Um, and this friend, this friend has cerebral palsy mm. and, uh, I'm, I'm a nosy person, a, a nosy from a place of, I'm a Scorpio is the best way to say that. <laughs> 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 you know, so I, I want to know all about your insides. I want to dig inside and get all in the, you know, guts of things. Yeah. So, gotta get into the exoskeleton. You know, yeah, I got to get into the exoskeleton. Um, And so when she shared with me that she was afraid of this unintended pregnancy, and I knew that it was a casual partner and not anybody she was in a deep relationship with, I asked her why why she decided to have unprotected sex with this casual partner. Mm. And I think I think I was able to ask that question in a way that didn't feel like judgment, but just felt like Mm -hmm. genuine, authentic curiosity and care um and so because of that she answered me in a very honest way and she said that her disability made sex difficult and so she didn't feel entitled to ask this person to use a condom Mm. and the you know i like to say that in that conversation three things were present radical honesty radical empathy and radical vulnerability and Mm. that those three things opened something I like to call it a transformational portal a moment where where we operate in a way that is so different from the way we have historically operated that we alter space and time that we create a brand new thing in that moment and um she on so she answered me very honestly and I said to her from the most non it wasn't from me it was only through me yeah I said to her Mm -hmm. Your body is not an apology. It's not something you mm-hmm. offer to someone to say sorry for my disability. Right. And in that moment, just something got created. Uh, and I knew that what what felt created was I was like that feels very poetic. Uh, and I was like, I think I'm <laughs> probably write write a poem. That feels very poetic. What you just said. Um, and so I wrote a poem. But you know, language language makes things. Language creates. And yes. so I. I was saying a prayer. I was saying a mantra and I kept saying it and kept saying it until it started. It's one until it started illuminating all the places in my life where I wasn't living in alignment to those words Mm -hmm. Um, and challenging me to move differently. And one of the very specific ways that it was doing that was that I had a, I just had a selfie in my phone, a picture I took as I was getting ready for a show and I felt fabulous. I was giving it to the people. I was in a black corset. <laughs> I was, I was sexy. Come on um, now. And I loved the, <laughs> right. And I loved the photo. I felt powerful and I felt beautiful and I felt, yeah, I felt magnificent in my body in this fat black queer body that the world tells me I should not feel magnificent in. Um, but I did. And I still was so present to what the world might say about it, what the world might say about mm. my celebration of this body. And so it, it kept me from sharing the photo. I kept, it kept it hidden in my phone for like six months. Uh, mm. But at the same time, I was also in the world on stages saying the body is not an apology. The body is not a crime. The body is not a math mm-hmm. test. Right. And so there was tension between how I was living and what I was saying. Yes. And um, yeah, and one day, February, February 9th of 2011, I decided to share the photo on Facebook because someone posted a picture of a plus size model on my Facebook page, someone who I thought was really sexy. Um, 
And so I was looking at her, uh, Googling her, and she had a black corset on that was not dissimilar to the one in my secret photo. And I just thought to myself, someone paid this woman a lot of money to put her juicy thighs on the internet. Mm. Why am I tripping? Uh, mm. And so I was like, I'm going to post my photo. Uh, and so I posted the photo and I encouraged other people because, you know, I'm also, like I said, I'm nosy and I'm in people's business. And I was like, if I'm going to do it, y'all got to do it too. So yes, <laughs> like, I want to see. Come on now. You know, yeah. And so I was like, um, post a photo where you feel beautiful and powerful in your body. Uh, and lots of people tagged me. And um, I was like, maybe we need a space where we're just allowed to unapologetically celebrate living in these bodies. And I was like, I'll make a Facebook mm. page and I'll call it The Body Is Not An Apology. And that is where the journey started. Brilliant. Wow. Mm. It is. I don't even know what to say. <laughs> it, right? It kind of reminds me. So as I mentioned, I recently started to use a wheelchair because my spasticity and body, you know, because MS, you know, it does crazy things to the body. And I'm still not at a place where I'm totally comfortable with that. And so I find myself and it still continues to be the case when I'm, you know, taking selfies and taking pictures, you know, to, to post on Instagram. I edit them to where you can't see if I'm sitting in the wheelchair to where you can't see it because just because, you know, because the world, because the ableism, because of a lot of internalized stuff and, you know, really thinking about some of the things that you wrote, mobility aids, which is kind of a, a thing in the disability community and in the MS community specifically, those really are extensions of our body if that makes sense. And so there's a lot of shame a lot of times surrounding those things. So that is what really kind of spoke to me as I was um, reflecting on the book. So that was just kind of an aside. So one of the things that yeah. just popped in my brain as you were sh sharing that, and this is one of those, I think this is one of the sort of tricks of radical self-love, right? For me, at least, one of the ways that mm -hmm. I practice it, and particularly when I'm trying to practice it around an area that I'm really struggling with, meaning I'm still mm -hmm. sort of very much um, present to the outside voice inside me, because that's what I call that, mm -hmm. right? Like the Whatever the voice is that tells you that somehow there's some shame in, mm -hmm. in that chair didn't derive from you. You didn't just wake up right. and be like, wheelchairs are a shameful thing, a world. Right gave you that message, right? And so that's the outside mm -hmm. voice. Your inside voice understands it as a different thing, right? And so when I'm right. finding myself struggling between those two things, the outside voice and the inside voice, I, I try to make connections to other places where mm -hmm. that would be applicable in, in sort of, and so what came to my mind is, right, I'm a writer. Um, mm -hmm. And the, the, there are aids that I need in order to create uh, the things that I put out in the world. Um, mm -hmm. and, and those aids are allowed to exist without shame, right? They're just, right. and they're allowed to exist without shame because the world, you know, the, I'm a writer. That's, that is who right. I am, right? And so, it, you know, I just, I, I found myself thinking as you were sharing, like that wheelchair, you know, that wheelchair to the creation of you and all of your magnificence in the world, all the things you are able to give us as a result of having that aid is mm -hmm. the same as the, you know, is 
not the same, but feel similar as all the things I'm able to give the world as a result of having that pin. That pin facilitates my ability to give my gift to the world. That chair facilitates your ability to give that gift to the world. And the practice of returning to that thought, not that that thought immediately changes things, Mm -hmm. but the practice of returning to that Mm -hmm. thought when, when the other thought comes up, when the outside voice comes up, having a thing to replace it with, that's a new framework. Mm -hmm. That's one of the tools that we talk about in the body is not an apology is Mm -hmm. reframe your framework that practicing trying that new framework is a way to interrupt that outside. Right. Mm. Right. Wow. Yeah. It's powerful. Thank you for that. Absolutely. Wow. You know, one of the ideas that I have been exploring that, that, uh, you know, certainly it's a it's a, a premise of white supremacy culture around perfectionism that I've really since my diagnosis and uh, from the moment that I opened the first chapter in the book, uh, really been doing deep, deep self-examination around trying to find that vulnerability to be the kind of self-care that I would have wanted as a young person. Um, And in doing it, Mm -hmm. looking at radical self-love, I wonder if you can speak to us a bit about the role that radical self-acceptance, radical self-okayness also plays in that. Mm -hmm. Do you know what I'm asking? Yes, absolutely. 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 So here's the way that I talk about it in the book um, is that in a in a world where we have been taught to be at war with ourselves mm-hmm. um like literally to be at war with our own bodies and to be at war with the bodies right. of others right like we i mean it's all the language right the language that people use to sell us things and all of that really is about you are deficient you're not enough fix yourself all of these kinds of um you know just really uh, antagonistic um, ways mm-hmm. in which we're taught to be in relationship to ourselves. Choosing to call a ceasefire is enormous. Mm. It's enormous. Mm. Um, it's like, oh, I like you might not be ready to to you know to hug the you know the combatant, the other combatant. Mm-hmm. You're not, my, you're not, you might not be ready to invite them over for dinner and all of that, but you can't stop shooting at them. You know, we can decide to stop uh, being an active battle with ourselves. And I think that that's what I think of as radical okayness, right? Um, Here's the reason, one of the, you know, I, I, I I differ in my perspective. You know, I see a lot of things that are like, you don't have to love yourself. Um, And I think that there is value in that, right? Like for some people that feels like uh, some extraordinary leap. And I talk about that in the book, like, for some people that feels like some place so far away that you can't even get to, that it's important to bring the marker of um, achievable mm-hmm. closer and enoughness, okayness, acceptance is definitely that. The mm-hmm. I think the core premise that I disagree with is that radical self-love is someplace you have to get to. What mm-hmm. my premise is, is radical self-love is where you already are. You got, you already are that <laughs> you came here that right. way. You are not, it is not a thing you have to figure out how to get. It is, the work is how do I remove the layers that are on top of 
what is there. That's like, you know, the image. Is right. Come on. Come on. Yes. The image is coming to my brain is like, you know, if you're you in a super messy house and you ain't done your laundry, you know, you just got done from the laundromat. You got six kids. You dump all the clothes on the bed. You might not be able to see the bed, but that don't mean the bed ain't there. Right. <laughs> there's, there's stuff on wow. top of it. Right. There is stuff on top of it. There is stuff on top of who we inherently, structurally, foundationally already are, arrived here as, and will always be, which is radical self-love. And the work is not to figure out how to become radically loving to ourselves. The work is right. to figure out how to remove the hatred the world has given to us. Because once mm. we take those things off, what is already there is the relationship we started with with ourselves, which is love. Come on, sis. You better prove. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. You bet. I got chills and stuff. I'm like, ooh, yes. come on now. Yes. That's what I'm talking about. Well, I, you know, I absolutely love it. And one of the things that that uh, it occurs to me that has always been personally uh, uh, befuddlement is to hear people talk about my own presentation in terms of unapologetic blackness. And to me, I just did not understand what they would have been to apologize for in the first. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, right. I, I, I just, I could never, I was like, I don't, I'm not quite like, I understand that the, that the perception and the experience for other people is, is, is one that, it, that, that feels quite radical. And it is simply being, uh, as far as I am aware. And to evolve that into the body for myself and to recognize and to love in that way forces a love of and a breakdown of the idea of the other and a recognition of the self in the other and the loving of the body in every shape that it comes mm -hmm. across the Af African diaspora, across ability, across gender, across sexual sexuality. And, and um, yeah, it really is a, a next uh, step in the evolution of, of that, uh, inhabitants mm -hmm. of the body as a global citizen exactly so I, I i find it absolutely enormous that's in that is exactly the vision of the work my premise is was remains that through the practice of radically loving ourselves we get access to what it is to radically and unapologetically have room for all beings we begin to yeah. see the self in what used to be the other right and then all of a sudden this idea of right um disconnection falls away right there isn't and that we begin to recognize that in order for my body to be able to unapologetically exist on this planet all bodies have to be able to there's no other way right. you know and so you know in the you know in the traditions of all manner of great black thinkers the answer has always been the same that you know that until our until our liberation is our liberation is bound up with each other 
you know, as activist Lila Absolutely. said, you know, that if you have come here to help me, don't bother. But if you have come because your liberation is bound up with mine, then let us work together. And the truth of the matter is our liberation is bound up with each other's. I'm thinking about Uncle James Baldwin mm-hmm. as you're talking. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes. yes. Wow. Yes. yes. Exactly. You know, I think, what was that? No, go ahead. Oh, no. Um, you know, as I think about the book and I think about the ti- the title, The Body is Not an Apology, you know, even thinking about, of course, we can think about it in abstract senses. Um, but I think about it on a, in a very real way. So it brought to mind when I first started reading the book and when I was really thinking about the title. So I spent some time in inpatient orthopedic rehab after a really bad MS relapse. And I would find myself as I'm working with physical therapists and nurses, et cetera, um, when, you know, my body was just being bad, as I call it, Mm -hmm. which that in and of itself is a thing, but not doing the things that I needed, needed it to do, apologizing to them. I'm, I'm sorry that, you know, my body isn't working. And that is a really deep and profound thing because, you know, why am I apologizing? You know what I'm saying? Yes. Yeah, your body. Yes. <laughs> right. Exactly. It's just doing its thing. The body's not an apology. So, anyway, I know that's a random aside, but. Not at all. I so love that cute. you say these things are random asides and they totally fit in with everything. <laughs> not a random aside. But yeah, but I, yeah, but I think a lot of people, especially. Um, when it comes to bodies that aren't quote unquote normal in an abled world, we apologize. I'm sorry that I'm walking so slow and, you know, you're in a rush to get where you're going. I'm sorry that, you know, X, Y, and Z. So we're constantly in a state of apologizing for trying to exist, trying to just do our thing in the world. And yeah. Yeah. And the thing, you know, the thing that feels so important to disrupt in that narrative is the idea of normal. That is the, that Mm -hmm. normal is the basis upon which we create a world of bodily hierarchy, right? Yes. And so as soon as we've decided that there's a normal, then that means there's an abnormal. And as soon as we've decided there's an abnormal, then that means that we've decided that there are some bodies that are better than other bodies. And once we've decided that some bodies are better than other bodies, those other bodies become uh, d- uh, disposable. They become no yes. longer things you have to resource. They be- this is how radical self-love and social justice tie together because we create a world where there are some normal bodies and abnormal bodies and then all of the messages and narratives that get tied to normal bodies privilege those bodies through systems and structures in our society. And mm. so that's no different than the deciding that the white body is a normal body. The male body mm-hmm. is a normal body. The thin body is a normal body. And we know that the mm-hmm. outcomes of deciding that the black body is the abnormal body or the uh, thin, the fat body is the abnormal body or the trans body is the abnormal body means that then we are f- free to dehumanize those bodies, under-resource those bodies, and at the end of the day, kill those bodies. That is why that entire line of thinking is so dangerous. And so for me, when I find myself in my own narrative about whether or not apologizing for my body, 
What I recognize mm-hmm. is that I am remaining a small link in a system that is murderous. And so it is power mm-hmm. and resistance for me to not apologize for walking slow, for me to just say, right. hey, my body needs a different thing right now. And there is no normal body. There are only our bodies doing what our bodies do. And as soon as we can actually create a world that values that, the rest of these structures don't have anything to stand on anymore. Blue. And Dana, I'm going to add to that because we talked about this before, right? About this idea of good days and bad days and our body being crazy or bad or whatever. The day is perfect. Mm -hmm. If you're in your body... Your body is perfect today as it is. It may not be doing what it did yesterday, and it may not do the same thing tomorrow. Right. But mm-hmm. there is no other body to choose from. This is right. the one. This it. Right? This is yeah. it. And, you know, one of the things that I talk about in the book that I think is really helpful in that is, like, in what service, what, how does... One of the things that I ask people to think about is, is the perspective that I am holding about my body right now Give me access to joy, power, or pleasure. Mm. And if it doesn't give me access to joy, power, or pleasure, then why would I choose to keep that perspective? It's, it's mm. you know, why would I choose to suffer with that lens? And so in this idea um, of reframe your framework, which I think is tool number three or four, um, what I'm offering is that you don't have to believe it to practice it. And mm. that... Your body might indeed feel like it's being a bad body, but does believing that your body is a bad body improve your life? Does it give you power? Does it help you manage through the day or does it, or is it a vibration that pulls you into a place of, of disempowerment, of depression, of say, cause if it's that, then there's an opportunity to simply to practice a different framework. Um, not that the framework is true, you know, like I think we right. sometimes get stuck on like, well, that's not true or, you know, it doesn't feel real. And I'm like, capitalism isn't real. It's an idea that we practice every mm-hmm. day and that's what makes it real. Oh, you know, like, <laughs> right. And, and there it's destroyable by, by choosing to divest from the system and the belief of it. If we collectively did that. So if I can individually right choose to divest from an oppressive belief inside of myself, I'm actually giving myself access to something else, to a different way of being. It just doesn't serve me to be like, my body's a bad body. I get, I, you know, Mm. I'm right now dealing with the early, um, what I believe is early um, stages of probably degenerative arthritis. And there's extreme pain coming downstairs. I almost burst into tears. I saw a woman on TV, like jump from a counter. And I was like, I may never be able to jump from a counter again. And like, there was this, this idea that my knees are being bad. Um, but mm-hmm. I was like, what, what am I, what does that give me? Do I feel powerful from that place? Or does that only create deeper despair for me? My knees are being my right. knees. And sometimes when my knees hurt, they're trying to tell me something. Like, you need to slow down, Sonia. Like, today's a day to rest, Sonia. Yes. Like, and, and what does it look like to be in a, uh, in partnership with my knees so that we can both take care of me. Mm. Yes. Well, in partnership and in solidarity and communion, in solidarity you know, I mean, community. Yes. The acceptance of my body as it is 
and the allowance of the acceptance of an embrace of and radical love of other bodies as they are is part of what has allowed me and given me passage, the vulnerability required in that to be engaged in this very conversation, which if I'm being real honest, you know, I, I had said as much on my own uh, social media network that will not be named. It, it is a moment of, wow, my life is dope and I get to do dope shit and I'm kind of bugging, right? And <laughs> it's because of that place again of radical self-acceptance and radical self-love because again, it was a whole coming out process in terms of saying public facing I am a person who has multiple sclerosis. I am a disabled person. I am a disabled mm -hmm. black person. Mm -hmm. Do you know? And and within that is built the solidarity as which which in and of itself is a very, very, very firm stance against the white supremacist patriarchy and capitalism, including the eugenicism that is born of it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yes. Yes. And yes. I, what I love about this idea that you're just sharing, right, is that it is the macro practice of what we just talked about in this micro idea, right? That it is, right. oh, when I'm in relationship, in solidarity with, in community with others, I fight the systems that would try to destroy me. When I am in yes. solidarity with, in partnership with, in community with my body, we can fight the systems that are trying to destroy us. You know, both absolutely and ones. and in the joy yeah. in and of and itself. Yes, 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 yes. Absolutely. Wow. I feel like I just went to church. <laughs> 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 I mean, seriously. Wow. Sonia, thank you so, so, so much for this. This, yeah, just unbelievable. I have like chills and goosebumps and yeah, everything right now. These are my favorite yes. kinds of conversations. So thank you. <laughs> thank you so much. Where can people find you on the interwebs? Um, a few different places. So you can find me, Sonia, the individual um, on Instagram. Mm -hmm. I kick it on Instagram pretty regularly. Um, mm -hmm. But if you're interested in sort of signing up and supporting my individual work, you can do that at mm -hmm. patreon.com. And Sonia Renee Taylor, I do cool um patreon subscriber only content um you can also visit me on my website hey, like women y'all do that do that yeah <laughs> um <laughs> com is the website uh and then you know i always encourage people to follow the work of the body is not an apology um because it are it's all the voices beyond me that contribute to this you know this amazing work and so the body is not an apology.com um where there is you know thousands of pieces of content exploring the intersections of bodies and identity and social justice. Um, and then also on Instagram and Twitter, the body is not an apology.com or body is not an apology. Perfect. Perfect. Thank you so much. Again, we honor the stories that you shared with us. We just, yes. Thank you so much. Thank you all so much for having me and thank you for creating this brilliant. I have a friend, um, 
who has MS. And I am so mm-hmm. excited to tell her about this podcast. And I'm so excited. Oh, that, great. Uh, Thank you. Yeah, I'm so excited you all exist in the world. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you for everything that you do and agreeing to be the vessel for these messages. Thank you so much. Yes. My gift, my honor. Thank you for tuning in to the Myelin and Melanin podcast. As always, you can find us on the web at myelinandmelanin.com, on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at myelinmelanin. And you can also find us on YouTube. So thanks again for listening, and we will talk to you all soon. Bye. Bye, y'all.